The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, this morning we continue in our Philippian series, in uh, our encouragement series. We've been calling this the Book of Encouragement because this book of Philippians is uh, through and through. It is an attempt to encourage God's people. And this is, this is what it's been. We've been in here several weeks. We've got a few more weeks left, uh, and it's just been a, a really great, a great journey. Um, there was a cultural phenomenon present when I was a child uh, that I don't see so much anymore today, or at least it's, it's less than today. And that was the phenomenon of role models. Of, of course, today there are, there's great marketing power for celebrities and athletes and to have role models, but uh, not so much in the way that it was before. I felt like when I was growing up, uh, it, people came out and said, be like this person. We want you to be like that person. Act like them. Dress like them. And they kind of explicitly just came out. Uh, now they don't say that so much anymore. Uh, you know, no one says, be like Tiger Woods. They say, hey, he wears Nike, uh, get Nike. He, he drinks Gatorade, drink Gatorade. Uh, in the early 1990s, Gatorade took advantage of this phenomenon of role models, the power of role models. Uh, and they came out with this, uh, this campaign. Maybe you remember the lyrics of this campaign. Sometimes I dream that he is me. I got to see it's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove. Like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Okay, if you're 30 years old and a guy, you get this, go watch YouTube and come back and thank me. It's the greatest thing ever. It's like, I totally do want to be like Mike. Now, there's this cultural shift, I think, that instead of be like this person, be like them, imitate them, act like them. It's, it's maybe more of be, be your own person. Find out who you are. Be unique. Be who you want to be. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to be a certain way. So a time, in a time when individuality and autonomy is proudly celebrated, a passage like ours today seems a bit arrogant, a bit irrelevant, even emotionally unhealthy. Paul says, imitate me, be like me, be like people who are also like me. And so we come to a passage like this thousands of years later after it was written, and we say, where's the place for this? This is not what I want to encourage for my children, or I don't want to be like someone. I thought mocking and imitating someone was discouraged. What about finding out who I am and looking inside and being the best person I can be? We should never tell anybody to be like another person. And yet, the wisdom of God's Word, we see so clearly that there's a command to seek after and follow men and women who, in the church, who are like the Apostle Paul, who value what he values, who celebrate what he celebrates, his values, his beliefs, his behaviors, and a tremendous amount Think about this, whether we like it or not, a tremendous amount of who we are, what we do, what we believe is is because of imitation. It's because of modeling. It's because of attempting to be like somebody else. It's just the way that it is. No kidding, there's so much emotion wrapped up into this. We want to imitate others. I think in a way we're really wired for it. I ran into someone not long ago. I pulled out my phone. We were switching. We were swapping phone numbers. And he pulled out his phone somewhat embarrassed. 
And he apologized. He says, I'm sorry, man. I got to apologize. And I was like, what for? He said, I still have an iPhone 4. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? And some of you are thinking, there are four? <laughs> There's six and, and plus and even more. And I don't even have that. But it's, others are laughing, but you're secretly a little ashamed. You're like, I still have a flip phone. Uh, there's, this, there's this desire to, to fit in, to imitate, to model. And when we feel like we're on the outside, there's, we feel a little lost sometimes. And we've all done things towards the hope of, of resembling just slightly someone that we want to be like. We get our hair cut a certain way or dyed to look like somebody else. We pick up spiritual or political um, viewpoints from people we desire to, to be like. We even pursue careers uh, from people that we respect. We want to be like that person. It's why we want our kids to grow up. It's why our kids want to grow up and be a dinosaur or a snow princess. It's because that's what they look at and they say, that's what I want to be like. I want to be like that. Sometimes the reason why we do something or believe something today is because that's how we were raised. That's how our parents taught us. And so you see that imitating and modeling and and being like somebody is built into who we are. We all do it. A great deal of behavior is bound up in this imitation. It's the reason why celebrities endorse products, because it works. Uh, Billions and billions and billions of dollars. Because it works. We want to be like people. It's the reason why we, if you have children, you want, you care so badly about who they spend time with. You care about who their friends are going to be because you know that they will imitate them. They will become like them. Because it's not a question of if we will imitate, but it's a question of who we will imitate, what we will imitate. It is going to happen. Imitation is inevitable. And I want you to know that imitation is not an ugly thing. I'm not talking about it as if this is bad. I believe that it is one of the greatest honors that we have by being made in the image of God. Do you get what this is saying? That in Genesis chapter 1, where God is creating all of the universe, after He's created all the creatures and all the animals and all living things, He said, let us make man in our image. Let us make something that is uniquely like us. And so we see the Trinity, we see the complexity and plurality within the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit pouring their unique design and likeness into the crown of their creation, you and me. And saying, we want you to be like us. Be like us. It's the very reason why we are created. To be Christ-like. Imitations in our design. And it's not a matter of if we will imitate, but who or what. And though our faith is very personal, our faith is very personal. It's not private. It's not something that we just live in, in our, own, our own little corner of our life. Paul puts himself out there. In our passage, we learn he puts himself out there, right open for everyone to see, and he puts himself on display, his beliefs, his behaviors, his values, and he says, be like me, imitate me. It's a very transparent example and urges us to find other Christians like him, and we should do that. This passage is about us finding people within the church, within our lives, who, who are like this model of Christianity and getting around them and valuing what they value. And where there are weaknesses, we say, who is better at this than me? And how can I 
get around their life so I can grow and be more like Christ. So how do we go about living out our God-given design to be imitators? Paul's approach is helpful and really straightforward. He says, decide who is worth following. Decide who's worth following. Guard against those who are not. And above all things, imitate Jesus. So let's work through those this morning. First of all, decide who is worth following. Paul says, imitate me. And Paul is not just putting himself on a pedestal. He's not uh, putting himself on a pedestal of of spiritual perfection. Because he even says in our passage last week, he says, I haven't gotten there. I haven't haven't attained what I desire to attain. I haven't attained perfection. I'm a work in progress. But he's encouraging people to follow him, an imperfect sinner, as he pursued the goal of Christ-likeness. He spent his whole letter up to this point describing this behavior of a person worthy of imitation. What kind of people should we follow? And here are some markers that we, we recall as we have gone through the book of Philippians. We'll jog your memory if you haven't been with us. or We'll remind you. He's describing the behavior of a person worthy of imitation. What kind of person should we follow? Here are some markers of a person worth imitating. The first one is humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Selfish ambition, it's this living in such a way that we, uh, we want to make sure that we are better off than other people. It's fighting to keep our place, our status with people and with God. It's keeping up with appearances. Conceit is about keeping up with appearances for the sake of, of earning favor with others or with God. And Jesus shows us how to be humble in Philippians 2. Even though Christ had all the glory of God quality with God. He emptied himself of it. He voluntarily embraced the worst that we had to offer. And so a humble Christian is the kind of Christian that doesn't fight to have their place at the table, that doesn't hold on to that privilege and that right that they have, who doesn't edge out others in order to get their place, who doesn't pout when they're overlooked or uh, or don't get the credit or who aren't praised around others. Why? Why can, a, why can a humble Christian not have to do that? Because a humble Christian knows that they have everything in Christ. They have everything already because of what they have in Jesus. It's okay if I'm overlooked. It's okay if I don't get credit. It's okay if people don't know who I am. It's okay if I'm not the center of attention because I have Christ. And if I have Christ, I have everything. A humble person does not have to fight for his place at the table. And this is demonstrated in a couple things that we should look for in people. We should, see, we should ask, do their successes go to their head? When they do right, when they succeed, when they accomplish something, when they get it right, do they let it go to their head and do they come puffed up with their accomplishments? The second thing is, does it go to their heart when they fail? Do they become dejected and beat up, to become low when they sin, when they mess up, when a a weakness is exposed for all people to see, when the lid is taken off and, and they're vulnerable, do they become so beat up and broken and beat down? You say, because of what Christ has done for us, because he, who he is and who he calls us to be, we can, we can succeed and not become proud. We can fail and not become dejected. We can admit our sin without being crushed by the weight of it because we know that Jesus died for our sins. We can come face to face with God's righteous demand and command for perfection because we know that 
that in Christ, all the demands of God were met. So a humble person that isn't beat up or too puffed up, but knows who they are in Christ. Second person, the second thing that we see throughout the book of Philippians is this, a transparent interest in the well-being of others. Look not Look, each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul compares himself to a drink offering in chapter 2. It reminds us how the priest would come to the altar and pour out wine on the altar for God as an act of worship. And Paul encourages us to emulate this kind of pouring out, this kind of sacrificial service for others. Not using our gifts and our abilities and our knowledge and all of our advantage for our own reputation for our own advantage for our own uh puffing up in in our life but using all that we have for the advantage of others he says join me in being joyful in this pursuit taking up this interest of other people it's such a great temptation to love others to serve others in order to be served and feel a need to be important. And Jesus serves us, not in order to be served, but he serves us because we're valuable to him. He serves us because he loves us. There's such a transparent interest in Christ. This, Jesus says there's no greater love than this, that a man to give up his life for his friends. The love of Christ is, is efficacious, it's evident, it's reckless, it's transparent for us to see. How do I know you love me? How do I know you care for me? We see it in his pouring out of his life for us. Not for his own advantage, but for ours. Paul begins his letter demonstrating this interest to his friends. He says, I thank my God for you and all my remembrance of you. I'm excited for the work of God going in you. I'm so passionately excited about God's work in your life, and I'm committed to seeing this work itself out. I want to see you grow. I care about you with the affection of Jesus. You know how Jesus loves you? That's how I want to love you. If I die today, he says, he says, if I die today, I get to go with Christ, and that's awesome. But if I don't die today, that means I get to continue in my ministry to serve you. And I don't really know which one to pick. It's a crazy kind of love. A transparent interest in others. If it's hard for you to think like that, if you're thinking, man, I do not think like that. I don't have that kind of interest in others. Paul is saying, find someone who does. He says, that is okay. You, 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 you're in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ, but you want to grow. You want to be like Christ. You want to have the mind of Christ. You were made to imitate Jesus and to be like him and be united with him. So find someone who does serve like that. And be around them and see the attitude they have and see what they do and their disposition around others. And say, that person is like Jesus in an area I'm not like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, so I want to be like that person. Another thing that we see as a godly character is a boasting in Christ. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ and to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Someone who boasts in Christ is a person who believes that they are made right with God 100% completely based on the perfection of Jesus and not 
their own character. Not because of any good that they've done, not because of any anticipated good that God sees in them, but because of the work of Jesus. The most important doctrine for Paul to believe, the most important thing to him was in the doctrine of the Christian faith was this, was this imputed righteousness that by faith the perfection of Christ is credited to us not by any good that we do. We, we, we are right with God because of Jesus. Now, I remember a few weeks ago, I made a comment in my sermon, and it was, I, I, it's always scary. You know, sometimes pastors just have fun with how they phrase things. Like, everything is so extreme. Like, this is the most important thing in the whole entire world. And you're thinking, the most important thing? And sometimes I fall into those kinds of comments. And, and just to give you a little glimpse into how, my, what my life looks like the, the 30 minutes after a worship service. Every, every day, every, every week, I leave a worship service and, 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 and my sermon begins to be preached back to me. And I ask myself, I ask God some questions in my mind, in my heart. I say, God, did I, did I represent you well? Was I faithful to your word? Did I do anything that, that compromised and weakened your integrity of who you are? And, and often I have a fear about this, and it's my greatest fear that I would compromise, that I would tell you something about God that is just not true. And it was one of these weeks where I said something so explicit, and I said, this is the most important thing in life. And then I drove home, I said, really? Really? But guess what? Several weeks later, I'm coming to you again this morning and say, I'm not going to change my comment. This is the most important thing in your life. The most important thing for you to believe in your faith is, why does God love you? Why would he love you? On what basis are you worth anything to Christ? I'm sure I'm going to have these questions again after I drive home today. (laughs) This was the most important thing for Paul. That I said, I seek nothing but to preach Christ and Him crucified. I'm gonna, if I'm going to boast and brag and get excited about anything, it's going to be this. That it's because of Jesus and nothing else. None of us can stand before God with any ounce of credit that God would say, that's good enough. Not a single ounce of credit can we stand before God and worship Him with anything. Nothing. And it's such a harsh thing to think about. Nothing, absolutely nothing. For Paul, that was true. For Paul, there was nothing. He said, I looked at all of my life. He said, you guys, if anyone was good, I'm much better than you. And that was not even close. He said, I counted all things lost. All my, all my effort to please God in religion. All my effort to be pious and well-grounded and intelligent and obedient. All of my efforts were worthless. He says that they are dung, they are refuse, they are worthless garbage. But the one thing that is of credit is the righteousness of Christ. That's my, that is his central doctrine, his central theology, the central theology of the Bible is that Jesus succeeds where we have failed. And apart from his grace, we stand in God's judgment. And then but Paul says, but because of our faith, the, it's the instrument of our justification. Our faith is an instrument by which we come into the, the, the righteousness of Christ. 
And he strongly confronts any Christian who would think otherwise. Any Christian who would promote any kind of religion or Christianity that says, you need the grace of God, but you also need this. This activity, this kind of confidence, this kind of character. Paul says, I'm going to boast in Christ and I'm going to brag about his strength to overcome my feeble attempts to live up to his commands. You know what Paul was worried about? It's so interesting. Paul was, was not worried that people would think too little of him. You know, like us, right? We think, what do people think of me? What if, they don't, what if they think of me in a poor light? What if they think of me as a weak person? What if they think of me as a failure? Those are things that occupy our mind and our heart a lot of times. You know what Paul was worried about? He said, what if people think too much of me? And he says, therefore, I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to boast. If I'm going to boast, I'm not going to boast in the things I do well. I don't want people to think that I'm really great. I'm actually going to tell them that I'm not, and then I'm going to hold up the grace of Jesus and his righteousness. He was grateful for his weakness, and even he prayed, he, he talks about a thorn in his side, in his flesh. There was something that nagged him for a period of time, that, and he prayed. He said, God, would you take this away so I could be comfortable? Can you take this away? It's tormenting me. And then he came to realize, God, is, this is a gift. God has given me this torment because it's keeping me humble. It's keeping me needy. It's keeping me weak. And then when I trust in his, in his power, his power is made perfect in my weakness. Find someone who's like that. Find someone who boasts in, the, in Christ. Who sits on, on, on this hope that their, their confidence is in Jesus that doesn't talk about their achievements a lot. Hey, do you realize what I did? you know what I did? you see how great I am? But talks about the achievements of Christ. Talks about their weakness. A person who could put stock in, in, in the, the power of Jesus. Constant confidence. What does that person look like? It's a person who has this constant, transparent confidence in Jesus. Someone who could say, I don't know. I don't know why or what or if, but I do know that Christ is my confidence. And so until I find the answer, I'm going to rest in Him. That is my hope. That's my identity. And another thing, another character as Paul moves on is this, is a passionate pursuit of growth. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal of the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am discontent when it comes to my growth and therefore I'm serious about pursuing it. This is what we talked about last week. Someone who wants to know Jesus better and better. A Christian is a person who understands that he has been grasped by God and so they spend the rest of their life grasping back on. We run after, we pursue, we grasp because he has grasped us. And so get around somebody, Paul says, who's like that, who says, I just want to know Jesus more. I want to grow. There's areas that I'm weak in, but I, I, there's areas of sin I have, and I want to repent from those, and I want to leave those things behind, and I want to know Jesus. It's a pressing forward, a, a bearing down, right? A, a focusing on Christ. It's reorienting reorienting our whole entire life and saying, I'm pushing everything in my life, my, my hopes, my dreams, my failures, uh, my aspirations, my family, my career, everything I'm taking. And I'm saying, God, I'm going to push it towards you. I'm going to focus on one spot and I'm going to aim everything in my life towards you. We're encouraged to imitate those who have this energy and passion and focus on Jesus. 
And that is a summary, right? That's a summary of where we, we have been. So when Paul brushes over, he says, be like people like me, uh, be like me, and be like other Christians who are like me, who value these things. That's what he wrote about in, 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 the, re- in the previous part of his letter. And then he says, the second thing, guard against those who don't act like this. Guard against those who are not good examples. Have a picture in your mind of the godly people that you want to pursue and be around and, and get around those people. But also know that you should guard against people who are not. Now, this does not mean we, we remove these people from our life. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, spend time with them. It doesn't mean that we don't love these people. But Paul is saying it does mean that we don't seek out these people to be a model for our life. We don't look at these people and say, I want to imitate you. But rather, we should guard against them. People are easy, really easy to, for Paul to describe because they're really just the opposite of everything we talked about. So instead of modeling humility, which leads to exaltation, Paul says their end is destruction. See, in rejecting Christ, their end is a destroyed faith. Jesus says those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves and puff themselves up will be humbled. So Paul says, do not imitate those who think much of themselves because their end is destruction. Their end is brokenness. Their end is that tower just crashing down and ashamed faith. But imitate those who are humble because Christ will exalt them. He says, instead of a sacrificial, these people, instead of a sacrificial service, he says, their God is their belly. That's what it says in our passage. So there's an unrestrained appetite. There's a an understated appetite for money, sex, power, position. There's an unrestrained appetite in their speech and in their gossip. Instead of a transparent interest for others, they're gluttons for their own pleasure. Gluttons for their own appetites and interests. Paul says, don't follow people who are so self-absorbed with how they're doing, with their own comfort, with their own pleasure, because they won't have any room to think about other people. Another thing he says, instead of boasting in Christ, their glory is their shame. There's a, a, even a bragging about evil things. This can be good things and bad things. Paul says he's learned to count all things as loss. Even boasting in good things brought about his shame. Bragging about any accomplishment to bring praise from men. You might be able to think of some examples. You think of this. Say, what do we brag about? What do we want other people to know that we were a part of? This self-promotion, this bragging. And, and, and the scriptures tell us eventually this brings us shame. And we should not celebrate things that are shameful. Instead of an intense pursuit of Jesus, Paul says they set their minds on earthly things. They worship the creation rather than the creator. They worship the shadow rather than the substance. This is what Paul's telling us to do. Place yourselves under leadership of godly examples. Watch these kinds of people. Be like them. Watch their habits. Watch their posture. Watch how they talk with others and engage with people. Watch how they sacrifice and how they give. Paul sees himself as a, as a model of this. Not perfect, but a character to pursue. As he imitates Christ, as he pursues Jesus, and he models these things with every ounce of his strength and courage that he has, he says, follow me and follow people who are like me. Join in imitating me. It's an invitation. 
to connect in activity, not just belief, not just doctrine, not just theology. It's an invitation to connect in a life process, lifetime of behavior. Study my habits, study my fruit, study my beliefs, study my failures, and see how I react to my failures. This is so good. I don't want to just know what you do well. I want to know what you do really poorly. And then I want to see how you react when you sin. I'm not excited that you sin, but when you do sin, what do you do? Do you run to Christ or do you hide? Do you make excuses? Do you manage? Paul is giving us this transparent example. He says, I'm not perfect. I am far from perfect. But I'm, leaving, but I'm running towards Jesus. This command to find Christians like this takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of, uh, a lot of effort to make a margin in our life, to have time to actually learn from people. It means, Paul is saying, it means however you can, however it can be possible, identify with mature Christians in your life who can help you follow Jesus more closely. It means that you, if you are mature in your faith, that you should adjust your life in such a way that you are being made available for other people to grow. Mentoring younger Christians. Who gives, what gives Paul room to say, follow me? It's important because we have a, we have a tendency to, feel, to say, I can't be a mentor. I'm not a Paul. People shouldn't imitate me. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. I haven't been trained. I can't put myself in Paul's shoes and say this. Paul says this. Find a guy who loves his wife like the Bible tells him to do and get around that person. Find a woman who has a controlled tongue and resists gossip and get around that person. Find a person who sacrifices their personal gain for the benefit of others and does so joyfully and cheerfully. Get around that person. Find the, get it, find the person who is quick to apologize and quick to reconcile and quick to ask for forgiveness when they wrong somebody and get around that person. The person who stands firm in their faith, even in the midst of struggle and sickness and doubt and fear and temptation, the person who has an unwavering devotion and commitment, get around that person. You see, it's not this, sometimes we look for this perfect example of godliness and we look far and wide and we don't find that person. And then we say, oh, I guess I just got to go at it on my own. We need to change our expectations. If we're looking for someone with the total package of holiness, these people are very hard to find. But if you're struggling as a parent, then find a parent who you respect. If you're struggling with lust, then find a person who is having victory in that. If you're struggling with gossip, then don't just hang around with people that agree with you. Find somebody who will say, we shouldn't talk like that. If you struggle with being a good friend, and this is one of the hard ones, if you struggle with being a good friend, seek out people who seem to really enjoy others. And that's really hard because the reason you're not a good friend is because you don't enjoy seeking out people, and now you've got to go <laughs> seek out people. All right, what can I do to grow to be a better friend? You know, be with others. Uh, that was my problem to begin with. I don't really like being with people. We need to follow people who are, who's not, who are not perfect so that we can over, 
overcome our imperfections so that we can learn how they grow. Someone who can show us how to handle the struggles of life and disappointments and its trials and and can show us how to handle pride and resist temptation and to put sin to death. We need this. We need each other. And, and, and I hope what this instills in your mind is not only desire to, to find people like that, but to be that person as well. I hope it's showing you that, wow, we depend on each other. You know, in a way, I need you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And you need me to grow in my relationship with Jesus. This is how God is, has designed it. This is how he's made it up. Because no one is autonomous. No one is, in, no one is purely an individual who can live their life without any consequence with the other, you know, on the other person. And in a culture where this is a real challenge to enter into, where we say, be unique, be yourself, be your own person. And then we look at the, the wisdom of God's word is, no, don't hide, imitate godly people. Pursue others who are pursuing Jesus. And I love how Paul ends this passage of encouragement for us. He says, above all things, ultimately imitate Christ. See, he says, we eagerly await for a Savior. We keep our eyes on heaven and we wait for Christ's return. And the hope of Christ's return provides believers with this motivation, this accountability, this security. There is a positive motivation to be found faithful when Christ returns. You see, Christians are not to wait for Jesus idly with an attitude of kind of this bored disinterest. When is he coming? They said it would be soon. When is Jesus going to return? But Paul is motivating us to, as we strain forward, we keep our eyes on, on the heavens, waiting for Christ. Not bored, but eager, passionate, looking towards him in all things. And when we do that, we will find relationships where we can be accountable. We will say, because I wait for this and because my eyes are in Christ, will you be by my side? Will you help me? Will you, can, will you teach me? Will you remind me? Will you motivate me? Will you, uh, will you remind me of my hope in Christ when things are really tough? You know what Christians are good at? Christians are good at often thinking about the return of Christ as an event. Uh, the end times, or you know, all these are very true and very biblical things, but we can misunderstand it and think that, that, this, that we're waiting for an event. But you know what we're waiting for? A person. We're waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for, we're waiting for the church's groom who has chosen us and loved us and died for us. We're waiting for the end of our struggles and the pursuit of perfection when we have Christ. I want to I read this passage as we as we close, where Paul is talking about it. He's explaining this resurrection. He's explaining this, these heavenly bodies that we will have. And it's, track with me here. It's such a great expression. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 40. He says, So it is with the, re- with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. 
The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are from heaven. Now listen to this. Just as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What an awesome picture. That, you know what this is saying? That there is something almost incomprehensible about this passage. It's talking about a combination of two things. A new spirit and a new body. A spirit that is fully redeemed. A body that is completely restored. A combination of a redeemed spirit, a glorified body, which will enable believers to perfectly manifest the glory of God. Sin and weakness and sorrow and disappointment and pain and suffering and doubt and struggle and temptation and hate and failure will give way to perfect, perfect heart, a perfect spirit, a perfect body, perfect attitude, perfect ability, perfect courage, everything, perfect joy, perfect pleasure, knowledge, comfort, and love. Christ has the power to subject all things to himself, and the Bible says he will, that he is God of all and King of all, that he reigns complete. That He says the sun will shine so brightly that there will be no shadow. And as we run this spiritual race right now, believers must, above everybody else, run towards Jesus. If you stumble, then just at least stumble towards Jesus. If you succeed, then just pour all of your success towards Christ. Paul closes like this because he wants to remind us that even it is so helpful, find people in your life that are like Christ and be like them, but those people are not your hope. Being like a person that you want to imitate is not your salvation. But pursue those people. Be like them. Put your trust, a relative amount of trust and confidence in them. Ask for their accountability. But they're not your God. They're not your Redeemer. And there is who one is, and that's Jesus. And I want to be like that person just as much as that person helps me be like Christ. Our ultimate goal is the promise-keeping God who will make us like Him. Made in His image. Perfected in His image. True imitation made in the image of God for our joy and His glory. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.